0: Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. There's been a whole bunch. Of news to come out since we last spoke, and we got a new lightweight title fight. Khabib is now officially done, and a whole lot more. I'm gonna dive into all that today, but first, let me start with what I saw this past Saturday night. Let me tell you something from my experience, okay? I have a YouTube page. And I did, it was about 40 minutes. It took me about 40 minutes. When I make YouTube videos, they're five minutes. They're on a long video, eight, nine minutes. Now I only bring the 40 minutes into it because what I did a little bit different over the weekend is I just sat in my chair with the camera on and I watched Kevin Holland versus Brunson. Now, the reason I relive this for you, okay, because I'm doing that for YouTube. Two things are happening. Please try to picture this. But one is the device I'm watching on, I cannot face towards the camera because any image of that is owned by the UFC. Oh, by the way, I turned the volume down. This is what I'm getting at. I turned the volume down because any audio captured from that is from the UFC. So the camera and the audience I'm allowing in is just allowed to watch me as I watch it. Very relevant because I had a great time doing it. I watched the entire fight. Five rounds, 40 minutes flew by. just had a lot of fun, and I had a lot of very good responses from the audience who enjoyed this experience. But I leave, and I talk to Joel. I call Joel on the phone, or vice versa, and I take his call. He says, man, I've I've never been more pissed off in my life as a fight fan. And I go, why? And he goes, why do you think? I said, Joel, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, man, that was so annoying for 25 minutes. I got to listen to that guy talk. That was ridiculous. I go, whoa, 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 Joel. I don't know what you're talking about because I had no volume. I had no volume on this. Well, apparently Kevin Holland, and I have to use the word apparently because my experience, I didn't see it, or at least I didn't hear it. Kevin Holland talked to Brunson the entire time, never stopped. Apparently in between rounds, Holland was talking to Dana and Khabib. Non-stop and apparently from a viewer or at least from Joel, the one viewer I spoke to, it was brutally annoying. Now, I then read at the post-fight press conference, Dana White called it a mental breakdown and compared it to Oliver McCall, who, by the way, I'm old enough to remember. Oliver McCall was in the ring boxing and not only did he stop boxing and stop offering resistance. To his opponent, he began crying. He had a mental breakdown. And it was so bad that, yes, they stopped the fight. And this is a main event. If you guys remember, all of them were called. But he was a big deal. Great big guy in the heavyweight division. This might have been a title fight when he did this. And he's in the ring balling. And he said afterwards he had a mental breakdown. But the promoter went as far as to say, I'm not going to pay you. Our contract says, I pay you to show up to fight. You did not fight. You went into the ring. You did not fight. You did not put your hands up. You were not knocked out, tko disqualified, and they still had to find a way to stop the fight. That's not a fight. I'm not paying you. Now, commission said, yes, you are. He showed up. Your cameras went live. Audience tuned in. But I only bring that part of the story to you because this was at least 20 years ago when, when Dana read the reference. I knew exactly what he was talking about. But I could not equate that to Holland because I didn't listen. I had the volume down, off. I had the volume off. So I didn't know, and I still don't. I have Joel's opinion. Sometimes I really like Joel. Sometimes I think Joel's a buffoon. I want to hear from you guys. How bad was this? And you're going to get a take from a guy who has to openly admit and has spent the last five minutes disclosing, I didn't hear it but I've never looked at Kevin Holland's trash talk in during a fight as some kind of a psychological warfare. I've never looked at it as disrespectful and it has yet thus far to be for me annoying. Now the point that Joel was attempting to make is it was 25 minutes, oh and by the way, he's getting his ass kicked. I mean, we had two elements there that we've never had from Kevin Holland before. First, Kevin hasn't gotten his ass kicked. He did the trash talk, came out looking good, came out winning, came out with his hands above his head in victory. And secondly, he's never gone 25 minutes. Look, in all fairness, 25 minutes is too long to do anything. I like candy bars. I don't want to eat a candy bar for 25 minutes. I mean, right, it's called the Law of Diminishing Marginal Utility. For any of you that want to take a business class or that I can save you the time of reading the book, but it means a good thing is not a good thing over a long period of time. And the candy bar example is the one that they actually will use in the book. Your first two or three bites is great. You're doing the same thing 10 minutes later and all of a sudden you're sick. You don't want to do it. Why? It's the same thing. It's the same thing that you enjoyed doing. But you get the point, right? And the candy bar example is a finer point. And it seems as though there was a tipping point somewhere in here with Kevin Holland, who, by the way, was losing minute after minute and round after round. And that's the gamble that you take. I'm not as mad at Kevin Holland as, I guess, at least Joel But I'd love to hear from you guys, and I also don't know if I would interpret it as a metal breakdown because I've always thought when Kevin Holland is doing that, that is a reset for him. And in the world of the pandemic, we're all going to be let in on it. No pandemic, live crowd, the way it's going to be in Florida in a month, the way it's going to be in Texas after that, you wouldn't hear it. And I also never bothered the idea that he's doing it to be disrespectful or psychological warfare because he's done it to opponents as recently as Jacare, who don't even speak the language that he's doing it in. So I, I believe it's a reset for Kevin. Kevin's trying to stay playful. But it is something either way. If Dana says problem, you got a problem. Dana says stop, you got to stop. This is, this is not a debate. And I'm sure if Kevin was here right now, and I will have Kevin on. We would get Kevin's side of this, guys. If it's a reset, though, Kevin's going to have to figure it out. I'm willing to give him a pass. Uh, he, there there's some real lessons that he needed to learn in that fight, and I trust that he did. Primarily, number one, from a physicality standpoint, you got to get up off the bottom. And if you can't get off the bottom, you have to try to get up off the bottom. Trying to get up off the bottom, the techniques involved in that are going to force different pressures from the top man of which you can sit back, off-balance him, sweep him, or go into your submissions. If you're only doing a submission game, you are never going to submit a guy, ever, in a main event from your back. Hasn't happened. And don't don't bring me an example where you know that it has happened. It hasn't happened. What you're seeing and you're believing is a submission from the back is the top guy, he had enough. The rear naked choke is the sign amongst athletes, I've had enough. Get me out of here. I'm tired. I'm getting hurt. I'll give you my back. Sink this in. We'll all make it look real and get up and go home. I'm only bringing that to you because Kevin Holland really looked like he believed in jiu-jitsu. Even Tony Ferguson, who does jiu-jitsu and will submit you from his but he is going to ground and pound you first. He is going to distract you. He is going to look to reverse you, to off-balance you, to sweep you, to stand up, and then he will come. He has never got a submission. The great Tony Ferguson is a great example to use. Without offering the other two, he will offer you strikes, he will offer you the threat of an escape. That is when he will find a submission. I bring that to you because that's what Kevin has to learn from this fight. Without question, but nothing. He must, from a physicality standpoint, understand the strategy of being on your back is never going to gain you favor with the judges. But the percentages of guys who are winning fights from their back, particularly main event fights, main events and championship fights, it just simply isn't happening. Broad stroke, I get it, but it's not happening. As far as the talking, as far as him engaging Khabib, I don't get it myself. It would seem as though that is where the mental breakdown part came in because he wasn't able to recompose. To have a break in between rounds, to catch your breath and gain some kind of information from your coaches, and to pass that up, to speak to a guy through a level of showmanship. Look, he took a risk. Kevin took a risk. What is cool? What is showman? What's annoying? I'm giving him a pass. Young guy, has some stuff to learn. Stand-ups, threats from the bottom, one of them. Secondly... Right? Let's give him a pass. Kevin Holland's given us enough entertainment over the last year. He screwed one up. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Kevin says he's going down to 170. Give Kevin another chance. Okay, so that's what happened on Saturday. But now I want to move on to an avalanche of news that came out late last week. So let's get into it. Khabib, who retired 11 weeks ago, there's a headline that Khabib retired today. I'll play along. Khabib retired today. Are you you all stunned? Khabib retired today. So we've got to put his belt up somewhere. Conor Poirier was obvious. It was obvious. First off, because it was the only meaningful 155-pound fight that we had. It involved Dustin Poirier. It involved the champ-champ Conor McGregor. It It was obvious. Always give the crowd what they want. Never give them what they're expecting. And for Dana White to come in and make Chandler Oliveira a fight we didn't know was in the works. As a matter of fact, it looked as though it was Gaethje versus Chandler. So for Dana to bring in Chandler versus Oliveira, which on paper makes all the sense. Nobody can argue against. Nobody. The boys in the back can't argue. No pundit can argue. No one can argue. It makes all the sense. To make that the fight, presumably, presumably, the winner of Poirier-Connor goes into that. But again, why am I presuming that? The only piece of evidence I have is that's the only 155-pound main event that's, that's named. It's all I have to presume about. I share that with you because... From a promoter's standpoint. And this wasn't done from a promoter standpoint. This was done by a promoter. This was done for a competitive standpoint. But for somebody to look at Connor versus Poirier, which works. It needs nothing else. We know that not only because it's a trilogy. We know that because we just did it. It works. But to have Chandler and Oliveira, who are fantastic but not known. They're just not. That's changing rapidly. But they're just not. If that was the knock... And now one of them draws in to the winner Poria Connor, who, by the way, could be Connor. I mean, you better believe Red Panty Knight is still a real thing. That's still the guy. That's still the guy to get on the docket with. Okay, just saying. Your your opportunities and your options are so much stronger by doing this. Not to mention from a competitive standpoint. It is everything that you would need without attempting to explain how does Conor get a title fight after getting knocked out in his last one, right? I mean, it just, this was the move. Dana nailed this. He nailed this. One of the questions that's coming up in the aftermath of this lightweight title fight, is Dustin Poirier getting screwed? My answer to that coming up right after a word from one of our sponsors. This spring, as you get back outdoors to explore, Take Bespoke Post on all of your adventures with a new lineup of essential box of awesome collections for guys guaranteed to upgrade your life. I'm still enjoying the Filet Knife set. They've been a go-to kitchen tool since we've been cooking at home a lot more. And whether you're out taming the wilderness or taking your home bar to pro-level heights, Bespoke Post only sends guys the best stuff every month, no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. I have my eye on the downpour jacket for my next pick. We still have a good amount of rain coming in the Pacific Northwest, and that jacket is going to come in handy. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code CHAIL at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code CHAIL, for 20% off your first box. Hey guys, is Dustin Poirier getting screwed? What do you think about that? It's not my question, by the way. It was a question on the underground forum. It was a big title, but it's a very fair question. Whoever posted that, Deserves a level of credit for that. It's simple. It's to the point, and we're all thinking it. It's Dustin Poirier getting screwed. But it is a question. It's not a statement yet. It's not a statement because you don't have all of the facts. You don't know what all of the options were. I would imagine there was a few scenarios. I would imagine there was a handful of scenarios, but ultimately at the top, it came down to this question. Dustin, do you want to fight Conor? If you do, it won't be for the belt. Or would you like to fight for the belt, but it won't be against Conor? I would surmise for you, having not been in the room, that I'm close. I would surmise for you that of the possible scenarios, that was likely one of them. So what would you rather have if you were in Dustin's spot? And don't forget you have to be in Dustin's spot, not just a top guy, because Dustin has had the belt around his waist. It's relevant. Hard to imagine that somebody could be so good and so decorated in success that they would look away from that at least for a moment. It's hard to imagine. Poirier never would have done it had he not had the belt. John Jones had so much success. He walked away from a belt. So much success. Here, somebody else take it. I'm going to go do something else. I mean, right, but that's a level of success. That's very hard to relate to. Very, very hard to relate to, but look at where Dustin's at. He's got a problem with Connor. They're one and one apiece. A and Dustin might have been real nice to Connor for this last fight. Dustin was not treated nicely by Connor in their first fight. So, Dustin may be a gentleman coming out and putting on one face for you. I will share with you on their first fight, Connor even approached him with a few guys, and Dustin was all by himself. I'm just talking about the very first fight. It wasn't great, and Dustin hasn't forgotten about it. It's also a major opportunity, it's major attention. I don't know what Dustin's contract looks like in terms of participation absent of that belt, but red panty night is still a real thing and it still only goes to one guy and that's the opponent of Conor McGregor. So if these were your options, you can fight Conor. The red panty, that's a real thing. No belt. Or we'll put you with somebody else. There's a couple of good options over here. You've already done You once, probably won't be him. Chandler's the new face on the block, and we like that face a lot. Oliveira's over here, right? It's likely to be one of these guys. Not as many people are going to watch. It's as hard of a night out, right? You're not getting away. There's not an easy fight here. There's 155 pounds. It's the toughest division in the sport. You guys are the top five guys. We understand that. So, what do you want to do? Would you like to not have the trilogy fight? Not to like to have the same amount of eyeballs But you can have an opportunity for the belt Or do you want a bird in the hand Which is Conor McGregor And even on a bad night There's going to be a real positive side of it These are your options What do you do? And I think Dustin made his choice Oh and by the way Dana hasn't said it yet But it appears It appears Anytime we say appears We end up being wrong a lot Right? But it does appear That that would be a number one contender's fight I mean 155 pounds It would appear That's a number one contender's fight And you can even have your Gaethje and your Islam and get those guys together. Which, by the way, on another note, when you start looking at the pieces on the board, that's getting more and more likely, which is what Islam needs. Islam just needs attention. Even if he goes and gets his ass kicked by Gaethje, people are going to tune in. I mean, what Islam really needs right now is for people to know who I'm talking about when I say Islam. And it looks as though Islam's getting himself in a very good situation right now, potentially. Potentially opposite Gaethje, potentially. I mean, you look at what just happened to Benny Darouche. Tony Ferguson and I have decided that Tony's going to fight him. So Darouche just got his name out there. I mean, it's one of these things at 155. It's very unique. You have the top five fighters. You have these absolute killers, but they're also stars. And they don't want to get matched up with the rest of the field It's one of these things But I'm starting to see the guys at 155 Starting to come to the table Starting to figure out their division I appreciate it We're still not seeing it at 170 pounds There's any weight class that we should be f- f- pissed off about Furious It's 170 pounds And 55 was starting to look like 170 But it's not anymore It's not 55 starting to open up, which is why it still gets the credit for being the toughest and most respected division in the entire sport right now. Not just the organization, the entire industry. But they also get a level of credit because we don't mind patting them on the back because they're doing things like this. They're going out there and competing. So is Dustin Poirier being screwed? He doesn't feel that way. He does not appear to feel that way. He's in a wonderful position. I believe that his position's only going to get stronger. I believe that that fight will be named a number one contender's fight. I think it's going to draw in to Chandler Oliveira. That's me talking. But as far as his dusting, I don't know. The kids on the underground have made some very good points, but I think they made those points based on limited information. I think if you understand that there were only a couple of scenarios... I think Dustin's in a good spot. Staying at 155 pounds and the mess that it is, let me ask you another question. Guys, what's going on with Justin Gaethje? Like, where is Justin Gaethje at? Is he looking for an opponent? Is he looking for more time off? I have argued and stated so many times over the last years, any question you have, at 155 pounds, the answer is Justin Gaethje. Who should do this? Who should fight this guy? Who can fill in on short notice? Who should the top contender be? Who do you want to see for the title next? I've argued for a period of time the right answer is Justin Gaethje. Now, one of the reasons that we as an audience were so compelled to back up and support Gaethje was because of his willingness to go out there and compete. He was a guy that wanted to go out there and compete. I don't think that Justin Gaethje has ever taken a break as long as the one that he's on now. And by the way, I realize he's only been out of the cage for about 10 weeks. I understand that. But that division has moved very quickly, and a lot of things have happened in those 10, 11, 12 weeks. A lot of things have happened within that division. Fights are getting booked. Fights are getting announced. We're having stars changing. Charles Oliveira, by example. Benny Derouche. By example, Islam Makhlachev. By example, we're seeing things happening very quickly in that division, and we haven't heard much from Gaethje at all. Heard a few rumors that we liked that Gaethje was going to be with Chandler or Gaethje was going to be with Oliver. started to get very fun, but Gaethje didn't speak out on it real heavily. One of the bigger statements that Gaethje made is, look, if Connor gets a world title fight, I'm done fighting. I only bring that to you because in the last... Three months. The only thing that we've heard from Justin Gaethje was something that wasn't wonderful to hear from Justin Gaethje in the first place. Just wondering what he's doing. And I have a different vision for what I'd like to see with Gaethje. In light of, I mean, I liked the round robin. I liked the Gaethje, the Chandler, the Oliveira. I liked that. I thought we as I thought we just got a real hot hand dealt to us. Something else happened. So where do you go with Gaethje? And I have, a different, I have a different opinion than a lot of people. Of the two fights that I would like to see for Gaethje the most, I'd like to see Gaethje against Dan Hooker, and I'd like to see Gaethje versus Paul Felder. I think that probably surprised you guys. I think some of you would have said, oh, let's just hold him out, and he takes on the winner of Oliveira." Ver- Not going to happen. But we're still talking about him in a different echelon. Listen, Gaethje lost his last fight. That's just a reality. Now, Gaethje is a huge star and a huge draw who was wearing the belt this time a year ago. So to put him in there in a main event, to put him in there in a world title fight, to put him in there with a guy on a hot streak, you can do. You don't have rules when it comes to Gaethje, okay? Again, I'll say it again. Any question you have at 155, the answer is Justin Gaethje. But you can Gaethje doesn't just have to go into one of those fights, and a Paul Felder fight. I mean, come on, guys! Did I just win you over on that? Is there anybody that is there anybody that doesn't want to see Paul Felder fight Justin Gaethje? And the same thing goes with Dan Hooker. We're not going to allow Dan Hooker to fall because he got caught against Michael Chandler. We're just not going to let that happen. Hooker's done too much for all of us. We're not going to let him fall. But we can still follow that same principle or at least ideal that, well, a guy coming off a loss takes on a guy with a loss. Okay, great. No problem. Let's get them boys together. Just by example, I think I like that idea more than some of the other ideas I'm hearing such as Islam Makhelchev versus Gaethje winner goes on and becomes the new number one contender. I can see where that can happen. That's a long drawn out night. I can see the positives of that contest. And you will most certainly have my support and my attention. I just think there's something different right now for Gaethje. In my own opinion. I don't know that Gaethje needs to, to, to hand the baton to the next generation of guys, which is what a fight with Islam would be. All Gaethje, he's going to reinforce his spot Or he's going to give his spot to Islam I don't think that Gaethje's in that kind of a gatekeeper type role in the least The guy was the world champion this time a year ago Okay, excuse me And the only one that got the jump on him Is the most dominant fighter the sport's ever seen So I don't know that we need to quite gatekeeper Justin Gaethje yet I think Gaethje should be in there with other killers and I think he should be in there with other stars. But I don't know that we need to start looking to the Islam Makhlchevs and the Kevin Lees and the next generation as it pertains to Gaethje right now. I think he needs to take a deep breath. Take a deep, he needs to open his ears, take a real good look and listen to what I'm saying. I think two meaningful opponents that make a lot of sense. And when you have an idea, you got to be able to sell that idea. I believe you could sell to Sean, Mick... To Dana, whoever you're dealing with at that level, the idea of Gaethje versus Felder, Gaethje versus Hooker. What do you think? Another piece of news we got last week is the rematch between Kamara Usman and George Masvidal. And I've got a question I want you to all think about. How do you promote that? How, how do you promote that fight? If you're in charge, if you get tasked with this, you need to be the one to tell the story of this fight. What direction are you going to go? And it's a very fascinating question for me. I think i am personalized this. I don't know that you guys would find this as interesting or even spend a single second of your day wondering or trying to answer that question. And I don't blame you. That's not your job. Your job is to sit back and enjoy the fights. But if you do look at it from this perspective, I think you could have some real fun. Not just with this fight, with each fight. How are you going to do it? There is a meeting at some point that takes place when you make a fight like this where you're going to ask your marketing team, how do we plan to tell the story of this fight? Because you only have one. You have a story. Why are we here? There could be 20 different reasons. But if you're making videos and you're making clips or you're putting up a billboard, picture's worth a thousand words, you need to tell this story and you need to tell it quickly as somebody is driving down the interstate. What is the story of this fight? Now, I believe that you guys like me would come to the conclusion that the story of this fight is these two already matched up regardless of what happened or how unclose, uncompetitive the scoring slash round structure was the fight was a hard fight and Masvidal wants a rematch and Masvidal as the biggest star in this sport does not want to have another loss and when we understand that in conjunction with the fact that he's the one calling for this, Masvidal is willing to put his stardom, his power his bill on the line because he's so sure That with a full training camp, and with the experiences that he gained in the first contest, that he can right the wrong. He can flip the script. He can beat the unbeatable. He can become the champion, right? Okay, catchphrases. But the reason I bring to you that I don't think that's the story of the fight. I think we're wrong. And as we're zeroing in on X amount of weeks before this contest, I saw something today which was that Usman is a three-to-one favorite. That's evidence, though. If the audience believes that Usman is a three-to-one favorite and they're parting with their money, you have to use that as a variable to the equation of, is the story going to work that Masvidal on a full camp can beat him? Because the betters are letting you know, no, it's not. They don't buy it. And if the betters don't buy, you've got to work that in, right? You're a detective. You've got to be taking all these clues if you're the promoter. And that is a clue. That is a quantifiable number that the audience does not buy the story. So what do you do? Do you retell it? But this time you tell it louder and you tell it better. It's an option. Do you go to a new story completely? that you also have no evidence is going to work? Do you flip everything and put the machine into drive going in another direction? What do you do? What's the story of the fight? Because it is very hard, historically speaking, to ever find a fight that was that lopsided per the judges that would warrant seeing it again immediately. And it is immediately at least for one, which is Masvidal. He is not fight anybody else. It was his last fight. It will be his next fight. I only bring that to you because, yes, we should see this rematch very much. And that was a very hard fight. It really was. Masvidal presented problems that Uzman did not know were going to be problems. Taking him down, being one of them. Keeping him down once you get in there, being one of them. Masvidal being fearless with the striking. Walking right out and getting into it. Masvidal holding up in the championship rounds while being on short notice. I mean, it's a problem. is a big freaking problem. But if the story doesn't resonate with the fans and we have evidence of that, which is the betting line, that means that the story potentially is not going to work and we need it to work because Masvidal is a star and Usman is the best. It's one of those things. Masvidal wants to take what Usman has. Masvidal wants to be the best and the biggest star. Well, Uzman would like to remain the, remain the best but also be the biggest star. I mean, you see what you see what's going on? Both of these guys have put everything in. Both of these guys are all chips in. And you have to make sure that you're looking at it that way. But the promoter has to make sure that he gives you the narrative to start with. And that's really what's happening here. This is not a cash grab. This is not about let's go put on a big fight and wherever Masvidal goes for the time being comes a whole bunch of interest. That's not what this is. Not for Masvidal. Masvidal's done cash grabs. This isn't a cash grab. This is a young man who sacrificed it, has an opportunity to win a world championship, who, by the way, this will be his last opportunity. Big of a star as he is, as good as he is, he does not get another chance, and he's already even done the change weight class gimmick. Right? Change a weight class is a great way to uh, cut the line. He's already done it. This is going to be Masvidal's last chance. He is going all chips in. It's very relevant that you understand that. It's very under, uh, relevant that you understand the risk that Masvidal is not only taking that he's asked to take, that he's willing to take, and the confidence that he has. So I know what I saw, I know what you guys saw, and we understand how the judges scored that. Masvidal saw something different, and they're not just words. Those are very beautiful words if you wanna go hide out and not do a fight. They're very beautiful words after you retire and you try to look back, you're in some safe zone. Masvidal's in the fire. And he's asking people to throw diesel on it. Because it's not hot enough for him yet. It's very relevant that you understand this. It's very relevant that you understand this. This, this is about a championship. This isn't about the money. This isn't about doing a favor for the organization on eight days notice and hoping something comes back your way. Those are done. That's not what this is. This is a guy that's worked hard his entire life in George Mosvall who is going to take a risk to try to get the ultimate reward. And it's very important that it's looked at like that. You then have a guy in Kamara Usman who's beaten everybody to the point that he's starting to have to go through and beat everybody a second time, which has only been done in that division once, and that was by George Saint-Pierre. So you're seeing something very special right in front of you. And Usman is mad. People respect Usman. People like Usman. I'm sharing behind the scenes if you ever meet him, okay? People like him. He's a popular guy. And people respect him. Because he was a hard-working guy. But you're now starting to see that if you don't fall into one of those categories, that of like or respect, and Mosvall does not. He does not like Usman, and he does not respect Usman. That's going to piss him off. And, and Usman, like any other human being, has the right to tick and be motivated to build determination off of whatever he personally sees fit, and that is why he's showing up. This is not a cash grab for him. He's going, hey, you didn't like me, you didn't respect me. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna beat your ass under the unified rules. Half naked on television, I'm gonna let the whole world watch, you will respect me. He did that, and it still didn't work. (laughs) I mean, I I should say, this is what happened. If you're oozing, what else can I do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna take your one and only excuse that you offered, I'm going to make sure that it doesn't exist. I'm going to beat your ass again. That's what I'm going to do. For me, that's compelling. For me, that's more compelling than this whole short notice bit. However, I just portrayed this to you guys as quickly and eloquently as I could portray it to you. And it took me four and a half minutes. Now, I bring that to you because if you're telling the story of the fight, you're going to be able to tell now. It's called a stump speech, okay? If you're a politician, you're ever running for office, it's called a stump speech. The stump is the, front. you go knock on somebody's door, they open the door and you give them the quick eight to 12 second version of why you're standing there, why you want them to vote for him. It's called, but it has to be done quickly. You don't always have 30 minutes. Not every promotion is a press conference. There's only one, in fact. Not every promotion you get to sit down in, in the world of the internet, take all the time you want. You could pop on Sports Center, not even know it, and they say, hey, you got two minutes. Great. Talk about this for two minutes. You could pop on Sports Center, and right before you go on air, they will tell you, you have 24 seconds. We're gonna cut you off and we're gonna go to a commercial. Break. You gotta be able to tell your story. I think the story and the point that I'm attempting to make: that both of these guys have all chips in. Usman is willing to put it all on the line to take. What Masvidal has. Masvidal will put it all on the line. It all goes on the line. The biggest star in the sport, and he could be suffering two defeats. Not great. He's willing to put it on the line to see a dream come true. How do we tell that story Quickly. Coming up on Saturday, we've got a massive fight at UFC 260 between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. Now I've got some thoughts based on a video the UFC showed on last weekend's broadcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. The tournament is in full swing and the action hasn't disappointed. The number of upsets we've gotten to enjoy so far is what makes being a sports fan in March so much fun. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game. And if your team wins, you win $100. Guys, it is that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is $1. You bet $1, that team wins, you get paid. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry, if college basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has 100 to one odds on select fighters for this weekend's exciting UFC 260. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code CHAIL. To turn $1 into $100. Guys, I can't say it any more times. I can't say it any more clearly. This is for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, one 800 9 with it. They were re-showing mim- uh, minutes and moments of Stepe versus Ngannou 1, which by the way had its moments that were very problematic for Stipe. It showed a number of Stipe's takedowns, right? But he had to work harder for those takedowns than I remember. Francis was keeping his balance, and this is all very relevant. Because there is one difference as these guys go into the fight, which is Stipe's weight. Stipe now weighs 10 pounds less. This is to everybody's surprise, but when Stipe shows up to fight Cormier the second time, Stipe's weighing 230. He shows up to fight him the third time, he's weighing 231. He was 241 when he fought Francis. It was concerning when Stipe was lighter for the Daniel fights, but then Stipe went out and got this wonderful result, so we all go, I, I guess a guy that was lean to start with can take off 10 pounds, even if it presumably is muscle, and still get a good result. But that is different because Stipe wasn't married to the idea and locked into the strategy of having to take Daniel off his feet. It's completely different that Stipe is 10 pounds lighter against Francis when Stipe is resigned to the idea that he must, not wants to, must take Francis off of his feet. Those extra 10 pounds, Francis is the one that's going to feel him, not Stipe. Francis is going to feel when Stipe's in on Guy's a little smaller than I remember. Guy's not squeezing to me as tight as I remember. And don't forget on a takedown, even if you're not a wrestling aficionado, you didn't wrestle yourself, this will make sense to you. It's about balance. That's all the whole thing's about. You get it on a guy's leg, that doesn't take him down. You drive. You knock into him while holding the knee or controlling the hit. The balance. He loses balance, he falls down. It's balance that takes a person down. Don't ever forget that. If you don't have the same weight or the same mass, you don't have the same leverage points for the balance. I only bring that to you. This is a very quick highlight reel. But I had not seen that fight since the night that it happened. And I did not remember it in the way that the highlight reel showed it, which I realized it's a highlight reel. You're taking special points. However, you're still breaking down those points. They showed four of Stipe's five takedowns. And he had to work a little harder, the other side of the coin. Francis also connected a lot cleaner and a lot harder with Stipe than I remember happening. And again, when it's in the heat of the moment, boom, 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 and then something else that you, you don't see it. When they break it down on a highlight reel, Francis caught him clean with a hook, Francis caught him clean with an uppercut, Francis caught him clean with a straight. Relevance being, Stipe took him. Seems to be a big talk going into this fight that Stipe's chin is suspect. I don't totally know where that comes from, but if you did follow his career and the one way to beat him for the very few guys that have beaten him, uh, okay, fair enough. And also the narrative that Francis only has to hit him one time. I was watching those highlights and going, man, Francis just on this highlight reel hit him three, clean, including that uppercut and including that hook that he's so well known for. Stipe took him. I will submit for you those 10 pounds helps you to absorb and take them. Where is the relevance to Stipe losing 10 pounds? Look, guys, it's in here somewhere. The lesson that we learned with Adesanya giving up weight against Blahovich and not looking as effective with some of those strikes, there has to be a lesson in that, or there's not. So if there is a lesson and there's things that we're going to learn and we're going to take away and take with us through Blahovic's career and that of Adesanya's, it has... Those same principles have to parlay to other athletes. You can't just say because of the guys in a heavyweight division and that class goes up to 265 that a size difference of 35 pounds of muscle doesn't matter. Of course it does. And the last time they fought, it was 25 pounds of muscle. Now, I'm also bringing this to you without knowledge of what Stipe is going to weigh in. It's going to be one of the few weigh-ins that you can actually be excited for. We never knew there was going to be drama in Stipe versus Daniel part two until Stipe got on the scale walking, what the hell is he doing so light? The odds literally changed a fifth of a point. A fifth of a point after the weigh-ins and solely because Stipe was so light. We just didn't know what to make of it. He goes out there, he looked great. So then we all walk away and go, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. It does matter whether he overcame it or not. It does matter. How does it matter and in what ways does it matter is yet to be seen. I'm just bringing it to your guys' attention. It's a very true talking point. I think there's going to be a lot of things to talk about after this Stipe-Francis fight. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening and for all the support. And remember, you can get all of my thoughts on the MMA world over at my YouTube channel. We got a huge card on Saturday. I'm gonna be back on Friday to talk about it, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.